like a trusted turnout jacket you've had for years. Flex 7 outer shell fabric delivers a perfectly broken-in feel on the very first wear. Flexible, comfortable, and powered with the strength of enforced technology, Flex 7 outer shell fabric is made to move. To learn more, visit tenkatafabrics.com slash flex7. Flex 7, powered by enforced technology. Only from Tenkata Protective Fabrics. Seconds count when responding to an emergency. Minutes save count when documenting your day. Emergency networking makes records management easier and faster with its Fire and EMS solution. User-friendly, complete online and offline functionality, highly customizable, all at an affordable price. For more information, please visit emergencynetworking.com. Welcome to Fire Engineering's Tactical Impact, the show that talks about tactics and how it impacts your fire ground. I'm Jim Silvernail here with my co-host, Chief Jason Hovelman. Jason, how are you today? Doing great. Looking looking forward to the conversation about tactics. Outstanding. I think we got an outstanding topic here uh, for this episode, a topic that I think is much needed, absolutely essential um, for the fire ground. Um, however, I do believe there is an uh, aspect of complacency and routineness that uh, gets us off our game plan, and that's why we're here t- to talk about it today. Uh, we're going to introduce our guest here in a second, uh, but uh, let's. Uh, I'm a, I want to. I want Jason to introduce our topic um, and kind of talk about what we're going to talk about on this episode. Yeah, so we've got a topic about uh, line selection, setting up apparatus and the first line deployment on multifamily fires and really would go along with any type of uh, stretch you're going to pull that will not be available to you with some pre-connect setups and couldn't have a better person to talk about that. He's on a short list of uh, people that when they've got engine issues or engine company tactic questions, they frequently call this guy. (laughs) As do I. (laughs) So we won't beat around the bush. Our uh, our uh, our guest today is Jonah Smith. Jonah is a battalion chief in uh, Charlotte. Uh, he's been around for a while. Uh, we've known him uh, from FDIC. He's uh, taught there for numerous years. Uh, but uh, Jonah, talk about yourself a little bit and welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you all for having me on. Look forward to the conversation. Uh, again, they said Jonah Smith. I'm a battalion chief with the city of Charlotte. Um, we're a large department, so everybody thinks that's my identity a lot of times, but people forget I also live in a small community, uh, Indian land, South Carolina, which is just south of Charlotte, and I volunteer there and uh, been in the fire service 20 years. Uh, for every minute I've been certified to be in the fire service since I got my firefighter one and two certifications, I've been a volunteer, so uh, little, little known fact to some of that, but that that blends into some of my take on engine ops and especially with these buildings because uh, – Right across the street from my house, they're building one of these buildings now, and we're trying to build some game plans for uh, our dynamic staff, and we kind of have down here. So, look forward to the conversation, and thank you all for having me. Outstanding, Jason. I'm going to start off just by asking you, how well do you think we do um, on an everyday basis with these types of stretches? First of all, we don't do them every day, but uh, how well are we 
at getting past the 200 foot pre-connect? Not well at all, in my opinion, at least not in our area. We've, we've come accustomed to uh, the convenience and comfort that comes with pooling a cross lay that's pre-connected. Uh, typically 200 feet, there are some agencies that'll run a 200 foot and 150 foot length, which we can talk about uh, our opinions about there, that which uh, would be a whole other show. Maybe we'll come back and do that. Um, but very few that I've seen and witnessed in my own department and the ones around us and doing training throughout the state of Missouri, it's rare to see departments routinely come off the back uh, with a static line. Um, I think they overestimate their capabilities in a lot of instances because of the comfort and confidence they have in that pre-connect and pre-connects in and put themselves aren't bad. It's just that we're taking the wrong tool uh, for the wrong fight sometimes. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think it, we, we become complacent because nine out of 10 times we go to fires and that 200 foot pre-connect that flows 150 is, is the answer. However, um, you know that there are going to be those fires that that's not going to be the answer. You know, it might be the wrong firepower. It might not be the right, the right length. Uh, but these are these are things that, you know, you have to be in your training cadre and ready to go, you know, prior to 3 a.m. when you pull up to that that structure, that courtyard stretch or that multifamily that you're going to need uh, more than 200 feet. Um, Jonah, what do you think about today's uh, apparatus? You think our today's apparatus is designed with that in mind? Well, I think you've seen a huge resurgence of uh you know, we we give the the old timers a hard time about being older and stuff and how they paved the way for us and everything else. Uh, you've seen a lot here lately of hose beds that were really high. Right. And now the newer hose loads are hose beds and a lot of the thinking and the I'll call it the renaissance of engine operations. In a lot of ways, over the past five or 10 years, people thought it was cool to be on engines again. You've started seeing those hose beds drop. You've started seeing deliberate thought with what hose loads people are running, what hazards different places encounter, uh, you know, ladders down the side, just just like the old American LaFrances or Maxims or whatever you chased up and down the street in your your city when you were a kid. I know I chased some American LaFrances up and down the road where I could step on them. I didn't even have to step up to touch the to touch the supply line. And I think you've seen a lot of that. I think you're also seeing social media change the world of apparatus design. Um, there's there's some pages out there that, that really highlight apparatus uh, innovation. There's some that, that a lot of us nerds follow to say, hey, that's a great idea. Let's put a cup holder beside the captain's seat or whatever it may be. But then also that leads to why is Charlotte doing this? Why is, you know, why is Saint, the St. Louis area doing this? Why do they do this? And there, there was a department uh, here not far from me that runs ran a static bed of uh, three inch. And I could not for the life of me figure out why they were running it. And it's because they have no hydrants. So they don't need four or five inch. They need three inch so they can supply tankers and and that kind of stuff. So I think you're seeing a lot of that change be driven by the, the sharing information that we're fortunate enough to have in the in the fire service these days. Because I can pick, I can nitpick things and then lay things out the way I want them for my area. But I think again, you're seeing my agency included that we're we're changing our engine spec that's been uh, been on 18 years. It's 18 years old, and we're we're finally changing a little bit because of the hazards we're seeing. You know, I think I think we do some tremendous things in our business with our tools and technology, but I think one of the things that's taken the biggest hit in our industry is that hose bed. You know, I, I often ask a kid, you know, that comes on the job or even somebody's been in the job for ten years, you say, "Have you ever seen a hose on its side?" 
And you know what the answer is? The answer is no. What What are you talking about? Why would I ever see a hose turned on its side? Well, I remember my first engine company assignment. You know, we had all kind of different horseshoe loads. We had a, a different variety of, you know, options of, of different loads that we could pull off the apparatus. Now it's, it's, it's rare to find an apparatus that doesn't have anything but a flat load on it. Um, what, what do you think, it, what, are, what do you think we're going to, you know, as far as an industry and, and making it simpler on ourselves? Well, again, with the, the information sharing, I think you're seeing a lot of people mimic what, I mean, uh, my organization, we have 43 fire stations. We have a variety of hazards in different areas, but on our engine committee, one of the things we said is the city is still the city. Like it's still the same region. It's not like station one and station 86 are different that much where we don't need the same things. Yes. Downtown has high rises, but so does, uh, so or so do other areas in our city. Um, so I think you're seeing a lot of that, that deliberate um, piece of getting things correct within the engine company layout. Uh, because one of the challenges of, Hey, I want to run a, 300 foot line. I want to run a 300 foot pre. We're going to fix pre-connect by making the pre-connect longer. A lot of people do that. And that's one of the things actually my agency is going to do. We're going to go, we're going to have two 200s and a 300 to kind of fix some of that. But if you don't have a truck that's built for that hose load, you can't just make it be built for that hose load. Uh, and, and I think you're seeing a lot of people want to do stuff. Hey, this department, this department, you know, FDNY does this or whoever does this. And and the problem is their trucks aren't built for it. So you got to start building it. One of the, the biggest piece of wisdom I've ever been given when it comes to apparatus has always been uh, when you start building an engine, if it's going to be an engine, yes, I understand agencies have rescue engines and some agencies have, you know, different hazards and they, they don't have a ladder company. So they got to put more equipment. I get all that. But if you're building an engine, you got to build it around your hose bed first. The hose bed's where it starts. How wide is your hose? How wide are your nozzles? What kind of hose loads do you run? Because if you run a triple fold and you don't make it wide enough on a cross lay to pull it both sides, then you have, I mean, we had that in an apparatus in our county um, where I volunteer, and that was a huge challenge, which helped us drive some other changes in, in hose loads. But that's where it all kind of starts is that, lay, you know, the, the low hose bed or high hose bed, you know, what you guys have, I understand, man. I'd love to have a 60 inch hose bed with, you know, bunch of lines and all kinds of cool stuff. But if you run, you're out in the middle of the Everglades, you might have to do different things than the downtown Charlotte companies where I can put 30 engines on scene in 10 minutes. Like I get it. So I think that's a huge give and take. And, and that's another thing you build your engines around your hose bed, but also for every, every take, there's got to be a give. And for every give, there's a take. If I, if I make the hose bed lower, that pushes the tank higher, which moves something else. Or if, or the wheelbase gets longer because you want 750 gallons. Oh man, we don't need that. Well, maybe you do and I don't. I mean, that's, again, I've never been to a fire in the, in the middle, you know, Lake Ozarks, Missouri, but I've been there and I feel like I can't treat it the same as I could in downtown Charlotte. So, I mean, it's, you, you, you got to realize that too. I think some of the younger members, uh, you, you spoke to some of the younger members, like younger members think, oh man, man, they came up with these cool engines. I saw it on, you know, the XYZ manufacturer's website. And it's like, you do realize we have no hydrants. We can't run 500. Well, but we can make it a thousand, but we're going to keep the wheelbase short. Yeah. And then your hose bed's high. And then it, there's, there's a lot of that push pull to a lot of that, that, you know, all of us are white shirts. Some of you got, you know, you all are higher than I am, but we 
understand how that all works. And I think some of the young folks sometimes can't see the forest for the trees. Cause like, I want to, I want an FDNY style rig. Okay, cool. We don't have seven people to stretch dead loads either. <laughs> like, the pre-connect is somewhat of a necessity where we work. So. <laughs> and I think there's been a, a shift for the last 25, 30 years that every fire engine has to do everything. Every engine, it has to be, have all these capabilities on it. And some of that came from, you know, cities and counties downsizing and shutting down stations and, and making sure we still have all those capabilities. But we've lost some of our adaptivity when it comes to fighting fire and hose deployment and hose options and tank. All the things you just described was a consequence of us trying to be a jack of all trades and having this huge toolbox full of everything under and we just keep adding to it right we're just going to keep adding to it and i think there comes a time especially in places like st louis county where our jurisdictions are so fragmented that it's a challenge because you don't want to lose capabilities but at the same time when you look at what we do 95 percent of the time it's a small number of things we do and some of those what ifs that are on those trucks don't come come along in anybody's career they're just there Right. And so I think that that decision on lowering a hose bed, shortening a wheelbase, increasing options of a hose bed becomes uh, kind of a fear based decision that, well, we can't lose that capability, even though the truck that's two miles down the road can do that. Well, and I think, Chief, something else to consider is the hose line that's inconvenient to get pulled is the last one to get pulled. So if, if you don't set it up for your dead load or for, you know, we're, firefighters, one thing about firefighters is we're inherently lazy and find the way to do, like literally some of the best firefighters find the easiest way to do stuff, right? And that's why they're efficient. And I think that's a huge part of what, what we've got to do and what we've got to understand is that sometimes when it's the hardest thing, it's going to be the less used thing every time, 100% of the time, so. I like what you're saying, Jason. I think we've lost focus. You know, what what are we doing with these companies? You know, are we going to rescues every day? And the answer is no. I mean, yeah, we're following the EMS, uh, the Band-Aid bus around, but really what are, what are fire engines designed to do? But to go to fires, pump water, pull hoses, and we lose focus. And, you know, you've seen in our area tons of times, everything's got to be a rescue body. Well, then ask yourself, why does everything have to be a rescue body? You know, why did we lose focus from the backside of the engine? you know, where, where our focus should be. Um, but you're, you're right. I think a culture, but I think there's a cultural change too um, that I've seen as far as trying to sway back to what's important and going back to the tactical importance of pulling lines off. Um, you know, I, I want to go back to something that you, you were hitting on and that is really designing an apparatus for its response area. So, you know, like a, a place like Charlotte has 43 engine houses are all your engine houses set up the same or are they set up for basically their response areas? Yeah. So it's actually something that's in process right now is we're, we're diligently working. Uh, Chief Johnson has kind of charged the, the hose committee and the apparatus committee with standardizing to a degree our engine companies. We have a lot of engine companies that are, you know, different areas, different places, different things. And, you know, some are a lot of commercial, some are a lot of apartments, some are a lot of different things. And we've got a, standardize it so because again one of the challenges we have is i might float from station one to station seven not as a chief but i may i may um you know float across stations i have a firefighter that floats out from my station 17 to 42 we can't just 
reinvent the wheel. Okay, welcome to the Charlotte Fire Department. Here's your intro to the hose bed. Um, and, and, you know, at the volunteers, you know, the one, two, three station departments, it's a little easier with us. You know, you got a ton of personalities, a ton of different hazards. Uh, but what we are trying to do is literally go with the left side of the truck being the long side, uh, deliberately laid out with, you know, a long line, the dead load, and then the right side being your standard side and the right side being uh, what one of the, the, the bays, so to speak, of our dividers is where our bundle goes. So that allows us to time wise, right? Everything we do in this, this profession is time driven. And so it allows me to stretch the dead load and somebody else to grab the bundle at the identical time instead of me waiting for, you know, Jim to pull this one out and Jason to grab this so I can do this. Um, and, and the other thing is our apparatus are uh, all laid off the rear. Um, everything comes off the rear. We don't have cross lays. And that was to engineer out some uh, poor. We didn't position apparatus. We parked apparatus. And I know no other fire department in the world has that problem. That's just Charlotte. It's isolated to us. Um, but but Chief Hannon and Chief Fincher, uh, the chiefs when I came on, were adamant about getting engines to pull past. And that was one way. Um, so we're working, again, on that standardizations on the new um, specification we've gone with. Uh, the manufacturer, we got to sit down and do some stuff. But we are that's exactly what we're emulating. And, and we're ordering. The good thing is we finally got an ordering process um, in terms of capital improvements where I can order identical hose, colored hose so that we can call for pressure on different lines. We know which one's extended off of dead loads. Uh, and, and then having that standardized, there, there will be some standardized hose loading and pieces of that. But for the most part, the hose loads aren't going to be dictated. It will be the, the lengths and what, what sits in this bay on every truck may be loaded within, you know, one or two hose loads, but it's going to be a 300 foot line. And this one's going to be 200 and this one's going to be 250 so that we're not, again, I mean, we, with sick leave and, you know, COVID was always part of it. We had company, you know, we'd have four people show up at a station and be like, okay, this is our truck. I've never even been to this firehouse before. Uh, but, but we're past that now. So I feel like we're more in the floating range of, of firefighters going on timeout. we got to reduce that confusion. Cause again, you walk in the fire. I mean, it's, I think every one of the three of us for sure has been to a firehouse, walked in the back door and got popped for a call. And sometimes that's a fire and it's not good to have, <laughs> here here's your all you can eat buffet and it's in no order and just pick something and hope it works so we're, we're really working towards that and it's, it's going very well um you know companies even the companies who don't like some of the standardization have been very understanding as to why we're doing it and and again it, it helps from everything from operations to our logistics chief <laughs> because he can order the exact amount of hose when we're loading a brand new truck one of the hose committees down there and the hose is sitting in stacks in front of where it goes. So I think that's a, for, for any chiefs that are listening, I mean, we're all chiefs, but you know how much of a pain it can be getting a new truck in. Well, when you go, there's three blue lot, three blue sections, four red sections, and you lay it out, it makes, makes everybody's life easier too. So it's not just operations. It's, it's everybody. So Charlotte, will you guys ever reverse out or pretty much? Absolutely. Really we good. do a lot of that. Um, what, what we found with that is it, it gets the engine out of the way. Uh, in, in a day when, uh, you know, we talked about the, the old American LaFrances we used to all chase up and down the street with the Detroit Series 60 diesel. There's probably some still running up and down the road at volunteer agencies all around the world, right? Um, and, and you two, being chiefs, you know you might get a truck in tomorrow and it just the electrical system on it go boom. So one of the reasons we've always said we do that is redundancy. 
um, because I can use that first new engine. If it quits, if the, the truck literally all but blows up, I can fix that from reversing out with the redundancy of hooking tight to the hydrant. Um, it also allows us to boost our water pressure uh, to ensure, you know, I forget who said it and I'd love to give them credit, but, um, you know, engine companies are called pumpers, not pullers. So it also causes you to, you know, and if you look, if you get with Dennis Laguerre and listen to him talk about what engines are, they're the triple, right? It's the triple combination pumper. Well, one of the functions is pumping the plug, right? It always was back in the day that you didn't put the steamer remote and lay a bunch of line from the plug. You had to put one at each end. So we've stayed with that. We do a very good job with that. Um, we're actually, our, uh, we just got a new position down at training and uh, battalion chief down there, and he's really pushing to do a little bit better job with identifying a water supply plan for that because uh, Charlotte's a spoke city. We go out and, and like a bicycle spoke. We have a lot of dead ends and uh, cul-de-sacs, which presents a bunch of challenges because, you know, XYZ developer buys here and here and here and they build separate entrances. Well, then there's dead ends. So we have a lot of problems with uh, with that and positioning trucks to reverse out. You got to back down in and some of these neighborhoods are, um, you know, a lot different or we're laying in, dipping the engine off and letting somebody take the hydrant. But we, that is something that we've done for years here. Uh, my entire career, that's always been a verbiage you will hear on our, our fires. And for those reasons, again, and, you know, for the captain's test, you say, hey, it gets me manpower close to the scene and redundancy, but it really does actually work that way. Uh, and, and one of the things we have found in a couple of recent fires is that maybe we don't dump everybody off the company when we do that. So the driver's out there trying to block cars and argue with people and find the hydrant and everything else. So uh, we're starting to send maybe we're fortunate with our four staffing, but sending somebody to the hydrant with them or having a company meet in there just to make sure it gets because that's an important operation. Right. And, oh, and especially the topic of this show is long lines like and, and I know Chief Hovelman spoke about it before. The minute I charge that line, I'm already losing water. And if the longer that line gets exponentially more water, I'm losing. So that water supply becomes even more uh, pertinent to our operation. I think one of the reasons why we don't in our area, and this is a poor excuse, but it's our host setups. You know, we rely a lot on Quince, like I know you do as well. Um, but uh, Jason, tell us a little bit about that Quint hose bed and what you're up against. Well, the Quint hose bed, number one, is limited. Uh, it's small. You don't have the room because you've got the ladder and, and all the things that um, get eaten up by the ladder being there. And ours have booster tanks. Uh, we we're talking to Jonah before we went on the air here is that when I when I was a captain, the Quint I was on was a 105 foot ladder. Um, it would move up into the city as a hook and ladder sometimes. Um, but it was a primarily used as an engine in our jurisdiction. Uh, you first do you're pulling a line. You're we do. We don't reverse out. But uh, the first do goes to the, the fire, pulls past. The second do is going to hit the plug and have the water supply and then pump into the first. So you've got that manifold redundancy if you have to. If the first engine goes down, you can pump through it to the hose. Kind of similar concept, but in, but not reversing out. But what we found was that, that ours was 300 and uh, just, short, just shy of 400 gallons. Well, when you start taking how much water's got to stay in the pump and you've got a long lay that goes from a three inch to your attack line, you lose a significant amount of water uh, for attack lines, but you also lose capacity for supply, especially we run a four inch on, on that truck, uh, which helps a little bit as opposed to five inch, but you have to be very strategic. You have to know your hydrant locations. You have to know 
who's coming in behind you or who came in ahead of you. Um, there's a lot of factors being an officer on those quints if you utilize them as both an engine and a ladder. Um, and you have to drill on the things that Jonah spoke to earlier about different configurations. We would routinely look for ways to be more efficient uh, with our hose stretches and the, the way that we packed it. We had no say in the way that truck was designed. It had one of those pull-out trays out of the back, so that takes up even more room because you got the pike pole stuck in there and you got the ladder shoved in there somewhere, the ground ladders. And so it really limits your capability um, to number one, come off the back effectively just because of the lack of space. Height is where all that goes. You lose so much height because it's basically built into a box. So you've only got room for so much hose to be loaded in there. And, and, and that's like you lose a lot of water in the hose uh, before you get a secure water supply. And that's a great point. So now you're losing your capabilities at bundles and it's all flat loaded now. So let's run through this. Let's say that you ha you pull up in a quint and you have to make that multifamily stretch. It's past the 200. You know, I think we worked on this a lot and there's a huge training aspect here too. So let's, let's walk through it. Jonah, start off. I mean, how would you start that stretch? Well, I think I'm a, I'm a big fan of keeping the familiar, the familiar, right? Like everybody knows, everybody on every fire department should know how to get a pre-connect off the apparatus. Some better than others, some are more efficient, but get that taken care of. That that eats up your 200. And then, you know, you got to have a bundle of some sort. And the problem is that sounds like a great plan, but if it's 350 feet, I'm still 50 feet short. Uh, so do you then go with a 200 foot, and, a, you you know, some departments carry 75 foot sections in a bundle uh, because of staffing things, things that at my job I don't experience. But at the volunteer aspect, we do. But we don't we run quints, but they rarely touch any sort of hose water or anything like that. So that challenge is you got to have that game plan, because if you come up and it's 350 feet and you pull your 200 foot two and a half and go off the nozzle, because that's an ability you may have and go 100 foot. Well, I'm still short <laughs> and now what do we do now what now the next quint gets there and puts 100 foot on the end of it you know what is the pump pressure is that identified that you know and we all know how variables are on fires and i i love always saying control the variables we can well i can control that variable if it's a 400 foot stretch it's this pressure 300 this one um but i, I would start you know again depending on the layout of the truck it's just common to have the two 200 foots and then a 200 foot two and a half pick one of those based on what you're operation is going to be and and knock it out that way but again if you need a second line that's the that's what i'm always thinking the first line is great that's the most important one but then if i've stretched that two and a half and go to a gated wire whatever your department may do what challenges does that then present for the especially in departments like some exist where you got two quints that are going to show up and now both ladders want to be in the same spot so they're not going to reverse out because they want to be close right so, so that's a that's a that's the thing, but I would I would start with the, the familiar and then build to that bundle, uh, you know, that 100, 150 foot bundle. Some places I've seen even run 200. That's just a lot to shoulder. But if that's again, if you've got a hazard that's 400 feet away, I, I can't I think it's going to be way easier to do that than it is to take a, another 200 foot pre-connect and pull it off the cross lay, put it on your shoulder and, and go to work. So uh, big fan I just of the extension. You know, we're sitting here in this sterile environment. It just sounds so simple. Oh, we just got to. You just go back to more hose. But the, make, having that done the right way the first time is not insignificant. And I'm, I'm going to pull out an, an old quote 
um, out of a book uh, that was printed in 1974 by uh, a guy named William Clark. And and if you've ever seen the Yellow Book and you read it, I you're going to be version. shocked how relevant that is today. But he talks about the first line on multifamily buildings and tenements. But it's appropriate for what Joan is talking about and how that line deployment and getting it right and being trained and being familiar uh, with it is not insignificant. He says the first line, however, should be taken to and up the interior stair or the, the means of egress to keep the fire from gaining possession of the stairway. Once the fire gets into the stairway, whether it's inter interior or exterior, it will probably enter the top floor apartments and if not stopped in time, will bank down the floors below the top floor, which makes our attack more difficult. It makes uh, victims escape almost impossible. You're talking about these buildings that are popping up everywhere. It doesn't matter if you're rural, urban, or suburban, you're gonna have one of these fires and having that line selection like Jonas talk about is critical. And I think something else to consider is, yes, it might be 200 feet away, but to go to what Chief Oldman just mentioned, the horizontal spread when it goes up and out, which is, I, I, I would hope everyone listening to this remembers that from Firefighter 1, you know, fire burns out and up, you know, until it runs out of stuff or we put it out. Well, when it goes up into, you know, we, we experience these a lot in Charlotte, that the outside in fires, the the grill outside, the cigarette, the discarded smoking materials, and they go up, they have all the air they need. And once they blossom into that stairwell or or into the horizontal attic space that then goes vertical, you know, in some of these buildings, you got offsets and everything else. You've got to think about that travel too. You've got to have the 50, okay, we always, you know, and you can go to any of the three of our classes and learn, well, 50 foot per floor and then the stair, like, and it's the same message. What people forget is when you get in the attic, what does that attic look like? Like, do you need another 50 feet just to address the void spaces in the attic based on the architecture, based on the construction, based on the, the you know, stairwells where one of the stations I used to work at, uh, you had to go down to go up to go across. And, and that's because what do these developers do in the, um, you know, Chief Oldman, your class, you talked a lot about this at FDIC, the, the construction and what's side A and all that stuff. That's a whole separate conversation. But then what are the obstacles you're going to encounter? Yes, that's 200 feet away. But what are the obstacles? I've got to go down up and make 290s. I'm going to lose another 50 feet. I'm going to be short when I thought I, when my distance estimation's dead on, my travel estimation is off, whether it be attic, whether it be stuff going your travel distance from the truck. What am I, do I have to go around this car? Or can I go right through it? You know, those, those kind of things. That's a good point. You know, when you're, when we're talking about deploying large amounts of hose, there's a big coordination involved here. You know, I, when we used to work on it, when I used to work on a Quint briefly, um, we would train and uh, say, okay, how are we going to get 300 foot of larger diameter hose, whether it be two and a half or three inch off the apparatus, how are you going to do it? And, you know, one of the things that we had practiced with was, you know, it's first of all, it's going to take more than in our world. It's going to take more than one company. That's what I was going to say. And all this, do it with three people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so once you start to stretch, you know, as the first due officer, you really got to communicate that and then have that second due or whoever's coming in to give you a hand with the stretch. But our engineer was, you know, the chauffeur knew exactly to load 75 foot of hose on the shoulder, put a 15 foot loop, have the next firefighter. And then it goes back to what you're saying. It's almost like an improvised Minuteman in the fact that you're not really pulling hose, you're, you're deploying hose, and you can go around those barriers. And then when you got where you're going, you put your bundle onto it with the Y or what have you. 
But, you know, two things are two things are highly involved here. One is training. If you think that you're just going to say and then do that, good luck, because they're, they're, your, ha- your hands have to be on the hose. You have to know what you're doing. And two, the coordinated effort. Like I said, you know, with our companies, you know, if you got a three-person engine company, even a four, that's going to require at least two companies to make that happen. And then once again, you know, what happens if we need secondary lines, backup lines, you know, where are those coming from and who's, who's making that happen? But uh, yeah, I think they're, like I said, big, big coordinated effort. Well, and that's something we, we addressed with our apparatus redesign. Uh, Jim was the, the, that piece. So we, we have fires on the, the South side of town. We have large houses, uh, you know, from four to 10, 12,000 square foot houses. And we've had a couple of very significant fires and they always go exactly like everybody that's going, man, they had that fire. Yep. That's the way it sounded. And that's the way it went. Uh, part of it was because we could get uh, right now we have four discharges off the rear, one for a take and break for your dead load, one for a pre-connected inch three quarter, one for pre-connected two and a half, one for a pre-connected inch three quarter of two to two fifty. Uh, some of our companies have switched that to one of those 200 inch three quarters to a 300. Like I said, take the pre-connect and make it longer. We'll make things easier. It absolutely does. Then you take, okay, the second line comes off. It's 200 plus my bundle. It's another 300. We got it. The problem is in these houses, then guess what you, what do you think we needed after that second one? Number three. And that's when it turned into the old, oh, well, where do we get that from? And it's, and it took, you know, a couple excellent quick thinking engine captains to go, hey, we can take our 200, shoulder it like we would, hey, put water in this, take a bundle, or there were options. But when we redesigned our apparatus in this newest iteration of our apparatus, that was one of the things we addressed because people forget that like uh, both of you spoken to, <laughs> and, and Jason definitely just said it, it takes possession of the stairwell. You're going to need a line on either side of that stairwell, plus something probably in the attic. That's three lines. How do you get the, the second line you're going to struggle? How do you get the third one? Because if you don't have a plan and, and again, it's not going to be like, all right, guys, we're going to do this. You can't huddle at the, the, the uh, tailboard or, or be on a quint first do and have a second do that's a quint and just say, you know, okay, blink your eyes twice. And next thing you know, there's two, 300 foot lines in operation. It doesn't happen that way. Absolutely. Jason, you got anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I think uh, when it comes to multiple lines, you know, in, in my experience, we train pulling two lines and we'll train pulling three lines, but very rarely do we have strategic plans on where those lines will actually come from at any given event. And so then you get into the situation where you got a cross layoff on one engine, you got a static line off of one engine, but the second lot, the second engine's maybe further away than what you originally anticipated. So now that static line's even going to be longer than maybe what the third line initially started out at, or or you've seen it, a line doesn't come off well, it gets jammed up, and you make the decision, we're not going to fight with this, we're going to start over because it's quicker. <laughs> now, just move that successive line pulling to somewhere else, right? And so having those st- strategic discussions and plans for multifamily, those long stretches is going to save you a lot of time and headache and embarrassment maybe. Well, and I think that, that as you know, chiefs, we talk about, we, you know, that's not my job. I'm not a tactical guy, but in that dry um, simulation environment, I can say pull seven lines off of one engine and not until after the fact does, you know, our, our instructor go, no, you can't do that. 
Well, but then it happens on a fire and you get to that third one and you're like, pull a fourth. Well, we have four discharge. We can logically do it. I think that's something else for the chiefs, you know, listening to understand that you've got to understand the capabilities of your people or your apparatus. Yes, you might not have been on a rig in 20 years, but you can't command somebody because we've had that. I mean, you know, what happens to my volunteers. Hey, call a tanker from this place and dispatch come back. They don't have a tanker. Oh, they used to, you know, you can't, the multi, multi-family dwelling fires, you know, if you need, say, four lines and they're all going in the same stairwell, I think we're probably doing something wrong as well. It's not a, you know, if you got more than two lines in a stairwell, there better be a strong reason for a third one to go in the same spot. And I think that's a, a huge piece because chiefs sit back and they go, well, you know, I don't need to understand the engines. No, you need to understand because of that, because that third line, you in your department, you may not have the capability on your first two apparatus or your water supply system or your tank to pump isn't big enough or whatever it is. <laughs> you know, there's a variety of things that can play into that. So, I think a lot of it is staffing, too. You know, uh, a lot of times no, you know, we don't you, have staffing problems. Nobody, <laughs> you know, staff, everything's fine. Right. Everyone's got everyone's got great. Everything's staffing. fine. <laughs> But, you know, you think about it, you know, everyone's so worried about, oh, I got a, I got, I'm coming with an apparatus that has a pump on it. I'm coming with an apparatus that has hose. So, therefore, I feel obligated to pull a hose off, which we know, and you wrote about it, and that's the importance of that first two line. Sometimes we lose focus. But how important is that first two line, and how do we need to keep focus on that line? Yeah, and I mean, I, that's something I learned from one of the greatest in the fire service, Dave McGrail. I went to a class down here in, in North Carolina, and he – uh he says, you know, if you don't ever, you can't, to get to two, you got to count to one first. And I mean, it's super simple, but that's the best stuff in the fire service, right? And he says, the second line doesn't matter until that first one's in play. And, and that I think how quickly and well placed that first line is sometimes can dictate the need for the second line or the need for the third line. And uh, I, I think, you know, I think it's, uh, and, and, you know, a good friend of mine, Brian Brush, said, you know, there's 500-gallon fires and there's 5,000-gallon fires. And a lot of time, the 5,000-gallon fires were 500-gallon fires we didn't put out early enough. And that all starts with and, – and the funny thing is, Jason, you just laugh. Like, we've all been to that fire where if we just put the line in the right spot, we wouldn't have been putting the, the apparatus up in the air and deck guns and everything else. So that's key, and that's – we're actually doing some training at in, in my organization right now to, at an acquired building, and we're – realizing in a high rise environment that you've got to dedicate two to three companies to get that primary line in. Because if you don't, that second line takes forever to get set up and that time in a multiple dwelling, like dedicate the staffing to the first line and get it. And then you can reallocate, you know, if you're staffed with two people and that's all you got, you got to dedicate some staffing to that line because the line's going to save more lives than the fastest primary search in this world. Uh, because you'll be able to take possession and create survivable space. And that, that initial line is going to go, hopefully, <laughs> sometimes unbeknownst uh, sometimes unbeknownst to us, sometimes it's, it is a people problem, but sometimes it's, it looks like this and it's really this. And we don't know this until, you know, the, the 14th due company goes, why in the heck did y'all stretch there? It was over here. I mean, it's obvious it was here. It's like, no, it was not. Uh, but, I, but that initial line, it's placement. And the, de- and I think something, we neglect because, like you mentioned, uh, staffing is a problem. I'm fortunate. I, I say we don't have staffing issues. We really don't. We staff with four. We're able to, even with overtime when, on tough times, able to keep it at four. Um, but where I volunteer, like, it's nothing to have three. We're, we're finally upstaffing a little bit. But, you know, in organizations that have three and the minimum is really two, 
you've got to dedicate people to that line because that first line, again, fixes your problems. You know, we could go through all the quotes of all the famous fire service leaders, Andy Fredericks, everybody who says, you know, if you do this, if you do this, then this gets better. Well, it's facts. We've all been to the fires, you know, that initial line placement. And the big thing is dedicating staffing to it. And especially if you're doing a long stretch, you can't expect two people to do it. And if you got a system and it's going to slow it down, that's fine. But you got to have a plan, especially you got to be more efficient when you have less staffing. So that, I mean, it kind of puts that, that pressure on the, the, the agencies that don't have the, the four and five people. Joni, you, you talked to this a little bit earlier about familiarity and, and, and how important that is. And sometimes on these challenging fires, it's easy to want to try and take a shortcut or to do something different or what you think might be faster. So when you start talking about getting those two or three companies, getting the first line to the right place, how does familiarity play a part in, in how you dictate where you take that line? Well, and I think, I mean, my organization, we run a lot of calls. Uh, the, the last engine company I was assigned to, we ran right at 4,000 calls. We were in a lot of these buildings a lot of the time. We were responding to them on calls. So we were pacing out layouts. And that wasn't just, you know, you can call the folks that work with me. I'm not just saying that because I'm on a, <laughs> on a on a webcast. I, we, we, we even went and stretched on some of the buildings to see, hey, would this work? Would this work? And I've got pictures of where it did not work. I will absolutely show you my failures at, at some of those. And it was a couple of the younger folks who were on my trucks. And, man, I'm glad we did this now and didn't look like, you know, uh, not so intelligent here in a week or two, um, we have the fire here. So I think that that stuff that, that everybody listen to this, you know, if you're listening to it, you understand uh, pacing out stuff, going out in your area. You hear those cliches of a lot of instructors saying it. Well, it really does work. It's not just some snake oil. Everybody's trying to like it actually does work on real fires. And uh, one of the buildings I use as an example is a nightmare uh, in my class for FDIC that I'm fortunate enough to be coming back and doing. We had a fire this year in it. Uh, I was the second due chief now because my battalion's just outside of where I used to work. But uh, we were, we, the hallway was charged exactly like we talked about. And my company, we're on the same shift now. My former company stretched exactly like we had talked about because we knew it's a partially enclosed breezeway. We know that you're going to get a unidirectional flow from the open side of it. We knew that it was going to be hot because of, just the makeup of it and kitchens are right there at the door. We knew all that stuff, which then, Hey, we're pulling the 250 because it's a first floor apartment and we've tried it before and it worked. And I think that's a, a huge thing. And then, I mean, understanding your hazards in your area. And I'm not just talking about the buildings. I'm talking about, you know, what are common fires in your area, right? Do you have a lot of outside in fires? Do you have a lot of kitchen fires? Those are really common in multiple dwellings for us. And I wouldn't imagine it's any different across this country. <laughs> but you put somebody smoking a cigarette in an interior enclosed hallway, right? Is that a hazard? You know, we, we talked about, we may get to some of the buildings on this, but do you have these block long apartment buildings where somebody smokes in the hallway because they don't want to walk all the way out or are most years outside in fires where it's an open garden style apartment? Uh, because those are two different approaches. You may be a little more blitz inclined with a high, high velocity, um, high gallon stream on the exterior before you enter versus, hey, we may have to stretch 400 feet of line in this building because it's an interior controlled. Uh, and I can't remember the uh, Castle West, I think it was out there in uh, the Denver area. They had the, you know, the if you want to talk about ground ladder rescues, it's a great research project. 
if you're going to stretch in that kind of building where they had fires all over the place and it's a big block long building, non-sprinklered, non-protected, those, those are all things you got to consider. And if you don't, again, you don't know what you don't know. So if you don't get out off the couch, you're never going to know. And, and ignorance is bliss until it's not. <laughs> That's what I, everybody says. Ignorance is bliss. And then I leave, add that like until it's not when you go to that fire and you're like, Oh, what do we do now? Uh, so I think that's a, a big piece is getting out and, uh, you know, using using the calls, using your time at the firehouse to go look at some of these things and game plan some of it. You know, whether you keep roping the truck or you just pace it out like a football official and in each step's a yard, you know, and you get. And so that's three feet. And then you just multiply it out. What you got. Everybody's got. So you can calculate it now. You can't say, oh, I can't do math. <laughs> so I think that's a that's a another piece that. You hear a lot of that in classes. Instructors say it, but it really does. It, it is a successful way to be tactically sound on a fire. You made a good point earlier about, you know, you never know. Fire could be 50 gallons. It could be 5,000. How aggressive <laughs> is your fire department on pulling a two and a half inch attack line on some of these multifamilies? Or do you feel that, you know, there's times where, yeah, you need the gallonage, but you also need the, the mobility and the maneuverability. Kind of talk about that a little bit. I think we've we've changed as an organization. I think um, I know I've seen our area, uh, our region, you know, uh, Charlotte region is very different from a lot of the other metro cities. Right. You you folks are, you know, near St. Louis and and haven't been to that area. Like there's not a lot of rural area right outside St. Louis. It's all suburbs and stuff. Well, we're a transition to that down here. And like where I live, the two and a half would never come off the truck. Well, I bet most of you can imagine why it didn't. Hose beds this high, <laughs> and it had a 200 or 250 at 100 PSI fog, fog nozzle on it. And so when I trained in my first fire department, the Columbia Fire Department, when I trained with Charlotte, those lines, how many people do you think we dedicated to it in recruit training? Yeah, I was going to say no. like seven or eight. <laughs> and then, the, But then the game was we're going to pump it up and we're going to show you this two and a half is you got to be you got to be macho to handle it. And you get done and you're like, all right, note to self, I'm never touching that ever. It's awful. And I'm not going to ever have seven people. Uh, fast forward to today, we've been able to make some advances in a lot. And I say this in a region, uh, regional sense as well. But, uh, you know, Concord, uh, Gastonia, a lot of the departments that are suburbs of Charlotte, all kind of transitioned to where you're starting to see two and a half get pulled off. Again, that engine renaissance of like, wait a second. I can flow more water and have less nozzle reaction. And if I use these techniques, I can actually hold it by myself. I don't have to put a loop in it. And um, people are viewing it as more of an offensive line. You're seeing it on a couple of our fires. Um, it was always an exposure line on some of our housing because, uh, you know, we're getting the new type five construction that 10 feet off the property line or five feet off the property line. You're getting that ex as an early exposure line. Now you're starting to see, uh, you know, th there's been quite a few instructors go through it, but you're starting to see that line come off with that throat punch mentality. Garage fire, car on fire in a garage. I can put it out in about five seconds with a two and a half and then switch to an inch and three quarter and cut it off up top. But we're, we're seeing that. Uh, I know a couple of the departments I've actually done training with, the uh, Sumter Fire Department. Uh, if you want to fight fire in the South, go to Sumter. They go to a lot of fires. I uh, went down there, was fortunate enough to do a couple classes for them. And literally two days after we left, they pulled a two and a half for the first time. And some of them said on an offensive mode fire in they thought 15 years and uh, they, they said, man, we never would have pulled this before and they're pulling it. And 
Uh, and I think that's a nationwide thing. I, I don't think it's just a, our region thing, but I know our department, very aggressive with it now, comfortable with it. Uh, we transitioned to it for our high rise uh, operations as well. We were kind of all over the map with that. Uh, we've transitioned to straight two and a half on that. Uh, so you're seeing, and, and again, smoothbore nozzles, and it's, it, we can debate that in a whole separate topic, but what it gave us was more water, less nozzle reaction. So we dropped from the 250 at 100s to, uh, right now, an inch and three sixteenths. So you get your three hundred uh, or two ninety six, if you want to be exact, at fifty psi, and your nozzle reaction is in the nineties, I believe, or one hundreds. Uh, but it's way less than a two fit. So everybody's like, "Man, this is great!" And now all of a sudden, hose beds start dropping. Easier deployment. Like I said, the the least convenient line is the one everybody's going to pull last. That's just, I mean, that's human nature. But it's also firefighters like. Well, I can pull two of these and it's the same. Well, it's actually not, but I understand why you're pulling both of them because they're easier to get to. Uh, and that that's a huge challenge because that's a capital problem. That's a that's a, a Jason problem. He's the fire chief. He's got to give me the money to buy a new fire truck. And sometimes you can't fix those problems. So you got to fix the mentality and then fix the apparatus. And that's usually the order it goes in because, you know, trucks are, depending on where you're at, eight to 25 year um things. So we, we've done a really good job in transition to using that as an offensive line. Uh, it's on people's – we've had a couple fires. We've had two, two-and-a-halves parallel working in a warehouse or working uh, in some of our commercial stuff, even on the exterior. Like we, when I got on, you would never see that. Uh, so a lot, lot of hard pushing by some folks well before me, um, especially my organization that were screaming it when I came in. I'm like, man, it's so heavy. It's awful. I wouldn't do that. Now here I am <laughs> loving it. So I worked for an organization that had three inch for a while. And I'm like, oh my God, we got to get rid of it. And we did. <laughs> so, but no, you, I think it's an absolute crime when you see a two and a half with that fog nozzle on it, just because what, what advantage does it give you, um, you know, with the push? It doesn't. I mean, why would you want a hundred you know, nozzle pressure pushing you back than 50 on that line. You know, it's, it just makes so much more, especially with our limited staffing, you know, like, like I said, it's a crime, but. And and I think another thing to think about, we're saying two and a half, there's other diameters out there that, that, you know, it, it, it makes you more curious as to other, you know, there's two inch. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of two inch, but two and a quarter. I'm not going to say I'm against that one because it's, it's, it's a little more rigid than two and a half. And with people who don't have the Charlotte staff and I put 27 people on the fire ground, I lose a lot of water weight that I'm carrying around and don't lose a lot of flow. Uh, it's still a large diameter hose on. Like th- there's other things to consider. So don't just, you know, I, 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 that's one of the things, like I say, I like to mention I'm a volunteer because I also realize like <laughs> I, not everybody gets four people on a truck. And when you have, one less person on a two and a half that makes a huge difference on if it's efficient or not. But again, it goes back to one of the things that chiefs in our department have realized. If I put a two and a half operation, it's two companies immediately. I got to dump that. I got to get that line and dedicate that staffing. So it goes back to what we're talking about before. Yeah. People should keep in mind the largest fire department in the world, FDNY staffs two engines on a two and a half, you know, in in the multi-story. And so if they have to do it, why don't we have to do it? <laughs> well, well, and which is some of our whole departments is those right. two lines or right. those two companies, right? <laughs> it's, it's literally some people's whole department plus all the volunteers. So, yeah. you know, get... <laughs> Jason, hey, any... Jonah, before, yeah, yeah, before we're getting close to that hour mark, but I want for 
the people that are thinking, okay, well, you know, we don't have that at our place. Where would I start to start trying to set up and implement a long stretch line? Where, where would you tell people to, to start and, and how to kind of move in that direction? Well, I think everything, when you come to engines, it's got to go to target flow, right? What, what are your target flows to figure out, first of all, what, what diameter hose line are we even looking at? And then what's your capability with an inch and three quarter in terms of length? And then what's your capability with dead load in terms of length? Uh, you know, I, I think there are inherent hazards with a gated Y, but out of necessity, a ton of fire departments, no, I, mine included, right? That protects this house I'm sitting in. We don't have the ability to do two long parallel stretches. So if we switch to a reducer or went off the nozzle, we don't have the, we don't have enough two and a half on the truck. So you can't just do it the way Jonah does it because Jonah says so. So researching your target flows, what are your hazards? And then what's your staffing? And that play all that, that conversation is one conversation, right? If you got two people, I wouldn't be going for, you know, a 200 at 75 inch and three quarter nozzle. It's going to wear people out. You might go a little lower, which then means, okay, do we go to that kind of uh, exponential engine as, as brush calls it type concept where I go a 150, 160, and then I go 300 on my second flow. And then I go 500 for my deck gun for the big fires. But then what's your capability on your apparatus? Do you even have the space? And I, I spoke before the show about a couple of the beach towns around here run quints because again, to leave a million dollar ladder truck sitting at the station when the beach house is on fire presents some challenges. So they overcame it by building a long line space. That's, you know, that, that the, the manufacturer worked for them, you know, are you going to have the ability to do that? Or are you going to have to build out pieces? Once you figure out that what's my capital ability, right? What can my engine accept? The engines we have here where I live, I can't go any longer than 200 or pre-connect. So we have to go. It forces us then more of the gated wide nozzle reducer option. Then you go from there and you start looking at, okay, what is my capability to store bundles? Can I put two bundles on the truck? Cause I have a 400 foot stretch and I've got a quint and I only can go 200. You know, that that's another piece. What, what can you store where? And then, you know, and then you get circle back to your staff and this, all this, these answers, all these questions we've discussed, can we do it in this department, in this environment with this response time? Because our areas of town change, you know, some of the, some of our operation, but I think that's a, a big thing to think about is your target flow first, right? If you're looking for a, a 250 and on a, you know, on a multiple dwelling for a, for an offensive line, um, you got to have some staffing. Do you have the staffing to dedicate to it? Okay. If not, then what's our quickest, do we go with a 185, which is going to be a little more labor intensive on our folks? Or do we go with 150 and try and get two lines? And how do we get those two lines if it's a longer stretch? Because uh, a lot of people's trucks, I mean, like I said, that my county being one of them, the, the trucks won't accept more than what you've got. They respect for 200 foot pre-connects, you're not going to be able to run a 300 or a 400. And if you look at the, the PG counties and the DCs of the world, and FDNY even, they are set up for very specific deployments with very specific staffing. And if you don't have that, you can't emulate that in your department. And and, and then they're also built to that. Um, so I think that's a huge piece is, you know, like I said, target flow, the equipment and, and staffing, you've got to look at those variables. And then, you know, if you got questions, you reach out to the people who've, you know, been through this because I, I certainly have and, and will. And <laughs> you got to have you got to have people to, to ask, hey, how do you all do this? Because I think finding the, you know, asking FDNY how they do it helps you in some pieces. But then asking the 
uh, as we call it down here, the dirt road fire department in rural South Carolina. Like, how do y'all do it with the 80 year old guy who's been on the fire department 10 years or, you know, a hundred years and the 18 year old kid that shows up for every call, how do y'all stretch a line down to a trailer that's 300 feet off the road? Because they have a lot of answers sometimes too, or they go, I'll know you tell me. <laughs> so I think that's a huge piece too, is it to, to look around at, at similar size agencies or people who've been through the same transition. Outstanding. Well, this was a really quick uh, discussion on some very vital information. If you want to hear more about this subject or many others, uh, we would encourage you to come to come to Indianapolis uh, next March, April, April, April. I get it mixed up because it was in March one year, April. And uh, hear Jonah talk about this subject. Hear Jason talk about his subject. Um, we're going to be there. Also, um, you know, we, we need to talk about the magazine a little bit. Um, if you want to see some more um, great articles, come read Fire Engineering. I know Jonah's had a bunch in there, Jason as well. Uh, this month, September, uh, was a little bit more uh, tech rescue oriented. Jason, you want to talk about it a little bit? Yeah, so September's issue was primarily focused on technical rescue. And I think the important thing to, to understand before I talk about a couple articles real short is that even though that you may not be a technical rescue department, you may not have task force and uh, certified technicians on your department, you are going to respond to a technical rescue at some point, uh, some, some degree. And so it's important to know what you're going to do for those first 30, 45 minutes to stabilize an incident. And so a couple articles stuck out to me that any department probably needs to read and, and take notice of and, and be prepared for. And it seems like every year we're hearing more and more of this, but swift water key to command and control at water rescues. And that can be a challenge because of the, 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 the amount of area you may be in command of and control of. It's not gonna be isolated like a house or even a multifamily building. You could have a very large demographic area or geographic area, I'm sorry, that you're gonna be in command of. And it's a very high risk operation. And that's in a September issue by Greg Merrill out of Oklahoma City uh, Fire Department. And then the second one, which most of us probably have some type of exposure to is blind elevator shaft rope rescue systems. And that is by Jeremy Rifflard. And you may not have the equipment to conduct the rescue, but you're gonna to need to know how to stabilize that elevator and what not to do that can cause more harm as you move forward. And that article was an excellent one too. So look at, and they're all good articles, but these two in particular stuck out to me as things that most of us are probably gonna be dealing with. There's a confined space um, article in there that was really good. And if you ever see utility people below the street in your jurisdiction, you have a confined space potential. So uh, just, just keep that in mind, September issue, fire engineering, mostly technical rescue, really good um, reminders and information. And uh, always, always read the magazine and reach out when you have questions. You can always reach out to the to the authors to get more information uh, by contacting the folks at Fire Engineering, the editors, and they'll put you in touch with those people so that you can maybe get some answers uh, to questions you have that come along with those articles. And we encourage you to do that as well. Keep in mind, it was also September. We never forget what happened on 9-11. And uh, the boss himself had a very nice uh, editor's opinion. Uh, many have forgotten that we will never forget. So uh, make sure you get a, 
a good eye on that. Great, well-written piece once again by David Rhodes. Uh, but uh, another another great month in fire engineering. So, um, you guys have anything you want to end with? Jonah, just let everybody know where you're going to be, how they can get a hold of you. And I know the schedule hasn't come out for FDIC yet, but maybe at least throw out what your class is called and what it's going to be on, and they can look for that as soon as registration opens. Okay. Well, I, and I, I'm not a technical rescue guy, but I'll read Jeremy's article because he's a – we'll claim him for a South Carolinian now because he's, he's actually down in West Columbia. Uh Actually had him in class not long ago. Jeremy's a great guy. Uh, really, really good information for us guys who can't barely tie our shoes. Uh, but yeah, uh, hopefully, hopefully I sent the email. I always love the first day at FDIC. So hopefully it'll be Wednesday. If not, I'll take whatever because it's such an honor to be up there. But uh, it's called Engine Company Operations at uh, Multiple Dwellings. It's uh, one of the, the typical hour and 45 minute sessions. Uh, had great attendance last year, had great discussion and uh Got some new material because, again, you know, every year I'm, I'm fortunate I get to go to fires. So I get to go get to realize some more more material uh, there. Uh, look forward to that. Look forward to, uh, you know, being back up there in India. It's definitely just it's special. If you've never been, you got to go just multiple times because the problem is you go every time. But uh, so that that'll be during the, the typical classroom session. So either Wednesday, Thursday or Friday. Uh, also got, I got a lot of classes going on, uh, here in the Southeast and, and around I'll be up, uh, most of them are department classes here in the next couple months, but I'll definitely be up at the, uh, Virginia fire rescue in uh, February and the fire service improvement conference in South Carolina. Uh, we'll be doing an engine school It's three days of nothing but engine. And we actually spend about four hours on, uh, long stretches, non-conventional stretches, that kind of stuff. Uh, in that class, it's super limited enrollment. We sold out in, I think, three or four hours last year. So uh, if you want to get on that, follow the South Carolina Firefighters Association. And uh, got a couple other things in the works, but uh, look forward to to seeing people in Indy. And if you got any questions, feel free to reach out to me on Facebook. Uh, you know, however, you can you can Google me. I get, I got an email address out there somewhere, but uh, <laughs> hornetfiretraining at gmail.com uh, is a way you can get in touch if you got any questions or got any follow-up stuff. Um, I know I, I just recently was on something where some people wanted to hear about our hose study we did in Charlotte. Um, I've spent probably the last week emailing people back, but I'll offer that if you're you're interested in seeing a pretty pretty lengthy hose study that we did here in the city of Charlotte. Uh, just just email me and I'll get it to you. It's public record. It's been out for three, four, five years now, uh, but it's a good starting point, jump good jumping point for a lot of departments on uh, where to start with some of that stuff and how to examine really deep dive into your engine ops. So thank you again for, for you two having me today. It's always an honor to, to, to do these things, but especially with two guys who I remember meeting at FDIC that I really look up to. And now I can guess, I, I guess, I think this means we're me. This means we're friends. I don't really know. I think it does, but we're better than Facebook. Yeah. Friends. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're almost, I know, I know I've shared a shrimp cocktail with Jason at FDIC before. So. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, was Tactical Impact. I'm Jim Silvernail. That's Jason Holman. And once again, thanks for coming on, Jonah Smith. Uh, Thank you, Jonah.